Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daney. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I traveled to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast would not happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, to become one of our members, and get an extra big interview every month, plus loads of bonus content. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Graham Hunter. And we'll bring you joy. Welcome to another big interview, this time uh, brought to you from Sunne in Sweden with the fascinating, eloquent and highly successful Sven Joran Eriksson. You may be able to hear the lapping of Lake Fruken in the background because Sven Joran Eriksson's palatial home is on the banks of this massive 93 kilometre long stretch of water, 100 metres deep in some places and it's part of a 9,000 kilometre round trip for me and a few kilometres less for our mighty producer Neil White but it's eventually going to be Barcelona, Oslo Airport, Suna back to Oslo Airport, across to Brussels, then Manchester, then London, and then eventually Barcelona, in my case. Um, We knew we wanted to speak to Sven because he's characterful, articulate, um, deeply interesting, and has been highly successful. We knew, too, um, that so much has been written and said about his time with England, and given that we've got a a well-educated, worldwide audience here, on the big interview, that we wanted to go back to what is a golden age for many of us, that age when Italian football, Serie A at least, number one, the national team, was by far the greatest football competition in the world, packed with stars, teams playing at their brilliant best. And Sven Joran Eriksson went over there and for some years became dominant. He has a litany of Coppa Italia wins, some Supercoppas, a European final appearance, um, which backed up the fact that he'd taken uh, Benfica to the final of the competition that became the Champions League. 
But 20 years ago this season, he became not only the second Swede to win the title in Italy. The first man will come up in this podcast. His name is Nils Liedholm, and he was part of the Granoli Swedish trio up front for Milan in record-breaking form in the 50s. But let me reassure you, it's not all about the 50s. It's about Sven-Jorin Eriksson telling us some of the most intriguing, some of the most startling stories, producing the best conversation, some of the best moments of conversation in the entire history of this podcast when he talks about uh, Roberto Mancini, when he talks about Mantovani, the Sampdoria president, when he talks about Cragnocci at Lazio, when he talks about Luca Viali, the names keep tumbling off our lips. The stories about Mihailovic and Veron and Mancini, both Mancini at Sampdoria and at Lazio, I think will will stun you. Um, this is a funny, uh, acerbic, intelligent man in full flow. And I'd like to thank his kind of cute labradoodle, Amy. You'll hear her at some stage during the interview. And... In all honesty, you're going to get a cast of characters over this interview that any fan of Football Italia era will drool over and any of you that weren't able to watch the Channel 4 broadcasts back in the 90s will love hearing all about. As soon as we sat down, Sven started talk to talk about how he'd agreed to join Blackburn Rovers before Lazio approached him. We pressed record and kept on going. So, without any more introduction... Let's catch up with this, the first part of my conversation with Sven Joran Eriksson, with part two coming your way very, very soon. We signed the contract and I said, shall we go down and see the city? No, Sven, he said, it's better not. (laughs) (laughs) Blackburn. (laughs) An honest man. Anyhow. I went home to Genoa, Santoria, and two days later, Cragnotti of Lazio phoned huh? and said, Sven, come, we will do a project and we are going to win. I invest even more money. So I said to Jack Walker, please. And he said, no, you have to come, you have to come. And during that time, Inter did badly with Hodgson. Roy left, yeah. became available. Yes. So when that came out, uh, Jack Walker told me, okay, Sven, I pay, uh, what do you say? A penalty. A penalty. No, no, he said. Good luck, he said. You go. Wow. That doesn't happen a lot. Incredible. In Incredible. Very, very nice. So just a, apart from successful, a decent man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and all, the whole family. Because it was public that I had signed the contract yeah. and... Then when I took England years after, I went to Blackburn to see and I thought, the family here, they will not say hello to me or they all hugs and, oh, Sven, nice. That's fantastic. Very, very good. But the other side of that is that you <clears throat> behaved like an honourable man. You said, please, this is what's happened. You didn't just walk off or say, right, I'm leaving. You had a conversation, which is yeah, yeah. the basis we, we for... Had, Good things happening. I went there. <clears throat> he came to Milano. We met many times to, to sort it out. At the end, he said, the contract, and Sven, he said, I understand you. I think we'll start 
um, today's big interview. Uh, often, listeners, hi. I, I'm not well, quite stupid, but I'm not stupid as I sound when I, I describe the environment. But it has to be said that although we've been in some outstanding places across our working lives, this um, garden and lake and house where we've been welcomed by Sven Joran Eriksson is exceptional. Um, it's a beautiful winter's day. We've been greeted, Sven, by your, your cat and your dog. This is a kind of paradise we're in right now. And why on earth did you let us in? Into paradise. You're, you're welcome. And thank you for the nice words. They're true words because Sweden's a beautiful country and we're, we're deep into... We, we travel through forests and, and lakes here, some of which get... We're looking at how... You said that some, some of this lake is 100 metres deep, or...? This lake you see here outside, it's called Fröken, and it's very long and very deep, certain places, 100 metres or more. I should also say, um, happy birthday. Thank you. We, we missed it by a little bit, I'm sorry, that's not rudeness on our part. But um, if I had said to you, what do you share with Carlos Tevez and Neymar and Cristiano Ronaldo? What, what February the 5th is a magical day for me. Yeah, I heard that and I didn't know it before, but some phoned me and said, you're in a very good company. And I, Neymar. Neymar, Cristiano Ronaldo, Tevez. Tevez, yeah. Uh, Georgi Hadji. Oh, yeah. It was um, ex-coach of Benfica who phoned me and said, congratulations. And he said, ah. Even these players. I think... They're a good company, I but think, I, I, think I they're was in not as good player as they were. A high-scoring right-back? You scored a lot of goals no, no, from no, right-back. No, 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 I didn't score. What, the, the, the history books lie? They lie. Okay. I was not that good. Well, let's go to more solid ground. <clears throat> the first anniversary was February the 5th. Yeah. But this is the anniversary of one of the most extraordinary times in your life and one of the most extraordinary times in Italian football because you, you were working for Lazio and you'd earned the right to, to work for Lazio because you'd changed football in each country you'd been in. You'd won trophies with Gothenburg. You'd won trophies with your local club. Um, you'd done brilliantly in Italy the first time and in Portugal. We'll speak about all of those. But... When we were beginning this chat, you talked about how close you came to saying yes to Jack Walker and moving to Blackburn and, and coaching there, where, who knows, maybe you'd have won the title with them again. Who knows? But you mentioned a guy called Cragnotti who phoned you, and it was Cragnotti Senior, I guess. Senior, yes. President of the, the Albi Celeste, the light blues of Rome. Yeah. First of all... Cirio. It was the name of the Chirio his was company. His, his, and sponsors on the front of the jersey? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So Cragnotti and Lazio and Sven make a, a perfect marriage. And we're going to talk about the footballers, the trophies. But a lot of people here don't have the privilege that you've had and I've had of going to Rome and understanding its division, <clears throat> what Lazio looks like, feels like, behaves like, where the training ground is, the mountains around the city, the, the, the retiros, the, the hotels you go and stay in when you're in Concentrazione. Describe your vision of Lazio, now that you remember it, when you first came to it, the club, the badge, the idea. Yeah, you know, before that I had been in Italy for many years, 
And the first club I had in Italy was Roma, and we're talking about 1984. And the first time I went to Italy really was one year before. I went to like a spy to see Roma when I had Benfica, because we met in the quarterfinal of UEFA Cup at that time. And when I landed at the airport in Rome and taxi into the city, I said, I want to live here. <laughs> I want to live in this city. And then I went to see football and even more I wanted to come to Italy. And one year later, it became the reality that I, I signed for Roma. And then after many years, Lazio. And Lazio, of course, the chairman, he wanted to win because Lazio hadn't won any titles for 20 years, something like that, when I came there. And they only won one title in, in their history. So Cragnotti, he wanted to, and he was extremely good to me and to the team. If I asked for a player, he did everything to, to make me happy and, and make the fans happy. To be specific, you didn't say to him, give me a, a hard-driving, box-to-box central midfielder. You could name, I, I, I'd like this player, yes. and he'd find this player for you. Well, I found, as much as he could. I found them and he listened to the price and then he said too much. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we bought Christian Vieri from Atletico Madrid and the amount of money that cost was the highest ever paid for a football player. World transfer record. World transfer record. And then Cragnotti was good to you. And Cragnotti said, because Atletico Madrid, they wanted Nedved and uh, Jugovic, and we take Christian Vieri and Cragnotti asked me, can we, can we give away these players? No, President, we cannot do that. And what shall we do then? And well, we have to pay. Well, Cragnotti looked at the directors of Athletic Madrid and said, OK, we pay then. <laughs> and broke the world record. And it took 10 minutes. The whole, uh, incredible. That's impossible. No, no. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. And the money came from his company? I suppose so. Yeah, I, uh, this isn't an accountancy exercise, but to, for Lazio to break the world record is extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. But one year later, Christian Vieri wanted to leave. He wanted to go to Inter. Inter. And I told Cragnotti, and if you want to leave, you leave. And then he beat the world record again. So Cragnotti earned a lot of money. He got money Christian back on Vieri. it. Yeah, yeah. But you said that... He got money back and... Winning a lot, yeah, a lot of profit. But you said that Cragnotti um, wanted, and his son was involved also? Yeah, both. Cragnotti Jr.? Yeah. So you went to what was called a family club, but if we're honest about it, Roma is the more successful and more famous. Yes. Cragnotti, even how much he believed in your quality, has to be brave to hire a former Roma manager. <laughs> yeah. It has passed some years uh, since I was a Roma manager, but... Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, rather brave, you're right. Th- there was no reaction from the media or the fans, I'm surprised. No, because <clears throat> I didn't go from Roma to Lazio. Mm-hmm. I went from Roma to Fiorentina, then Benfica, then Sampdoria, and then Lazio. I really thought their memories were longer than that. <clears throat> and when, so describe, because you said that first trip to, to go and look at Roma, you were like, I have to live here. But they play in Stadio Olimpico, which is, for British tastes... It's too much of a bowl, there's a running track, the atmosphere can be up or down. And also, it's the club where the fans, if they're unhappy, they will will turn up at the training ground and turn over your cars. (laughs) They do. 
Yes, you're right. The stadium is not a football stadium. No. <clears throat> but when it's full, the atmosphere is great. When you have the derbies, for example, Roma-Lazio, it's incredible. But it's a pity that uh, almost no club in Italy, they don't have football stadiums. Because they're owned by the city, more yes, or less, yes. right? Community, yeah. And the training ground, describe the training ground. Training ground. Roma has a very good training ground and Lazio even better. Yeah. Formello. Formello. Beautiful, beautiful. It's like a five-star hotel when you're coming in there. Describe the facilities in the field. Was it the best you'd trained on? At that time it was the best, yeah. We were had too few pitches, that was the only problem. But the hotel, the accommodation, the offices, the pitches, the quality, fantastic. And you had to construct this squad, but for people that were trying to bring them back to the 20th anniversary of, of you becoming only the second Swede to win a Scudetto, Serie A. And we'll talk about the first guy in a minute because you know him and you remember him well. But you had choices of goalkeeper, but your number one keeper would have been Marco Gianni. But then you look at your squad and talk about Giuseppe Favalli, Fernando Couto, Sinisa Mihailovic, Alessandro Nesta, Paolo Negro, Pancaros, Insigni, then in the midfield, Almeida, Lombardo, Marcolin, Nedved, Sergio Concisao, Diego Simeone, Stankovic, Veron, Boxic, Insagi, Salas. It, it's one of the best squads ever assembled. I had, I had a fantastic football team. And not only extremely good football players, they were winning mentality, all of them. And you know, when I came to Lazio, there was three players who's been there for a long time and they were not really positive about that we can win. They said we can never win. Lazio will never win. And one was uh, Casiraghi. He went to Chelsea, I think. Gigi Casiraghi, striker. One was Rambaudi and one was Beppe Signori. They were all big heroes. So I told Cragnotti, away with them, all three. We have to change mentality. Not really technically good football players, but the mentality. And he listened to me after a lot of discussions because he said, I cannot, Sven, I cannot sell Beppe Signori. The fans will be crazy. Because of the three, and he was the they, best. They became crazy. Furious. <laughs> yeah, oof. they would have killed me if they got the chance. Remember that people listening don't know the techniques of a manager, n- n- not just a coach of a manager. How did you, d- did they tell you? that we'll never win. These three guys, how did they betray this bad attitude, this losing attitude to you? Beppe Signore was, of course, the captain of the team, uh, and he should be. He was uh, regular in uh, Italian national team. He was the best goal scorer in the country. He was a big hero. But you expect from a captain to be positive. We shall win next game. We will win the Scudetto. We will win everything and helping. But he was not. He has been there so many years and sees so many delusions uh, that they started well, then after Christmas, nothing. So he, he said, ah, we're happy here, we own a lot of money, a lot of fans, but we will never win anything. And hearing that every day, but not only me, but the other players. It's great. Yeah. You can't have people around you like that. In your first year, when you go in 97, 98, you know, you win the cup. So, I mean, we'll come to the Scudetto, but you, you go in, as you've done throughout your life, you 
managed to imbue a winning attitude? And no, we won the cup. One week later, we played the final in UEFA Cup against Inter. I was there. You were there, yeah. And during the season, <coughs> you, the second game, you beat Inter 3-0 easily. Yes. You took them apart. Yes. But we, we played the Italian Cup on Wednesday. No, Sunday. And then Wednesday, we played uh, the final. In Paris, Parc yeah. de Prince. And I felt, no, this team, they have won a title and they've been partying for two days in Rome and... All the fans, now Lazio won the title 20 years since the last one. So we were not a winning team. We were not mentally prepared. So the winning attitude you're talking about would be win the cup, go to bed, wait, go to Paris, win again. Yes, and we didn't. And you noticed on the day in Paris that that they were not right? we were not there. We lost 3-0. Not a chance we had. And they had Terribo West sent off. But you were playing against a very, very good side. That yeah, inter side with Ronaldo at his top top. He was very, very good. But you reckon it was more to do with your players and that they weren't... It was mentally. We were not there. You can lose that game, but not as we lost it. Very so bad. How do you, did you take that lesson and say to them, look, look what you've done, look what's happened? Because, OK, so you didn't win two trophies in five days, but the Coppa victory was a stepping stone yeah. to the big victory yeah. in the coming season. But then, some years later, when we won the league, 2000, that was a Sunday. Wednesday, we had the final against Inter, Inter. of Lippi in the Italian Cup, the final. And I thought, we're going up there, we played that game away. So I thought, we will not win this time. And Lippi said to me, Sven, now you've been winning the league. You've been winning a lot of titles. Let me win this. Uh, Sven, Sven, you're an Ericsson. <laughs> I, I don't believe you. Lippi said, yeah, yeah, it's my turn. I said to Lippi, I'm sure you will win because we are not been training almost since we won the league. But then it was a winning team. Because you, we I, went out there and we cruised. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I think you, it, it was two games, and I think maybe you drew the first one and you win the second one, 2-1? Yes, and we played very well. You did play very well. And that was three days after we won the league. Let me, let me tell the listeners who you beat with Inter, uh, with the great Marcello Lippi on the bench. I, I'm okay to call him the great Marcello Lippi? Absolutely. Okay. Angelo Peruzzi, Christian Panucci, Xavier Sanetti, Laurent Blanc, Michele Serena, Ivan Cordova... Francesco Morieri, Clarence Seedorf, Ben Wakoye, Roberto Baggio, Adrian Muto playing for Inter with Gigi Di Biagio on the bench, Ronaldo on the bench, Samarano. Good team. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Expensive team. <laughs> and you say you cruised it or you, you won? Yeah, yeah, we won. We won. And I, then I was, I think I was my most happiest day in Lazio because then uh, they showed that winning team. They hated to lose. OK, then let me stop for a second, because um, the opening scorer that day, so you were 1-0 down. Yes. To a, a guy called Clarence Sidorf. Now, last night when we talked about him, I told you something that surprised you. And maybe I'm going to read you um, his quote. Because... Um, Sedorf came and played for you at Samp, Sampdoria, right? Sampdoria, yeah. Which is one of the two teams in Genoa. And the other club is a cricket club. And this is what... Um, love a dad. This is what Sedorf says about you. He's asked by Munjak Ahmed about the coach who's... At the, this is Sedorf. Clarence. the Champions League with three different clubs. Yes. Was one of the super kids at Ajax when Van Hal and Ajax win the Champions League. And these are his words. Van Hal gave me a debut at 16, and even though the others are great coaches, the one who had the biggest cultural impact on me was Sven-Joran Eriksson. He taught me that even on the pitch, you have to adapt to the culture of the country you're in. I remember one such occasion, now brackets, maybe you and he remember the relationship a little bit differently, but (laughs) I remember one such occasion like it was happening now. Sven and I were sitting on the bench, and he explained to me that amongst a load of bricklayers, the work of the architect can go unappreciated, unnoticed. So I had to lay a few bricks down. At Ajax, I had been taught to intercept passes without going after the man because I knew he would have passed it anyway and my run would have been pointless. I continued to think that way, but everybody thought I was lazy for not running. I knew it was the right attitude and Ericsson knew it was the right attitude too, but no one else did. I realised I needed to adapt, so I started laying bricks I learned a lot about how to behave abroad. It was a key moment for me. So on that day, your ex-player scores against you, Sadov. Mm-hmm. What he's described there, how accurate is it about what you taught him? How had the relationship developed at Samp between you and Clarence Sadov? Uh, I think he was 17 when he signed for Sampdoria, 17 or 18, so he was very young. But he has already won uh, Champions League. 
and he was uh, brought up in the school of Ajax. And the school of Ajax is attacking football. Yes. Keep the ball and attack, attack with everything you have, more or less. And, you know, coming to Italian football, which at that time was the best, best league in the world, you couldn't play like that if you didn't have the best players. And we didn't in Sampdoria. So it took some time for him to, to understand that. And it was many tears from his side. It was, uh, he was very... He wanted at some point almost go back to Ajax. And he said, I can't play in this club and this. And I said, you can. You are good. But you have to change. And he did. And he did very quickly. And then he became... Uh, well, without calling him arrogant, was there a football arrogance that he brought with him? It can only be this way. It's not many 17, 18 years old coming to, to the manager saying, we cannot play like this, we have to play like Ajax. <laughs> and I remember the first time he did it, it was three, four days before we went to playing Juventus away. And uh, I, I became angry, surprised, and I said, shut up more or less. <laughs> but uh, a lot of discussions with him, and uh, he's a clever man, and he was clever at that time as well. And it shows his character as well. 17 years old. Um, you, you make a great point, because if you had been telling this anecdote about any normal 17-year-old who'd changed countries, even if he'd succeeded in the Champions League, uh, the listeners would have expected you to say he was homesick, or he couldn't cope with the change of diet, or he missed his girlfriend or his parents, or maybe he was very naive and had so much to, to teach him to, about how to play. But instead... He already thought he was a 28-year-old and that yeah. he knew best. <clears throat> yeah. His humility was he had to stop and listen to you and learn and change. Yeah, it has had nothing to do with the homesick. or No. Because his mother was with him, lived with him at that time. So it was only about um, how do you play football, the style of football. <clears throat> it's right what he said. He didn't uh, <clears throat> like to defend or he was not uh, teached. Yeah. How to defend. Yeah. He had to adapt and he did it very, very quickly. And he became a great player. So then I said, I said to you, I wanted to stop. And I want to stop here as well because I want to say to you, I'm not going to ask a lot about Alex Ferguson, but he had a big influence on my life. He, he taught my club to win European <coughs> trophies. When I was a reporter, I was very close to Manchester United when they won the treble. There are so many incidents where he's had an influence in how I think or how I behave or also lots of enjoyment. But famously, he said when they won the treble and they beat Juventus in the semi-final in 1999. Bayern in the final. And Bayern in the final, exactly, in Camp Nou, a place that you know very well. <coughs> United had been having a lot of trouble with Juventus for years and Juventus of Lippi to the extent that Juventus kept knocking them out. And Juventus in 99 were a team, as you know, which had not been knocked out of Europe for about seven years. They'd either won the final or lost the final, won the final, lost the final in UEFA Cup, Champions League. So when they're knocked out in the semi-final by um, United, after leading, um, they won one at Old Trafford and 2-0 at uh, Comunale, no, at Deli Alpi. Ferguson said something in his book that he looked across the, the, the other bench and he said, I was really pleased to only see Ancelotti there, not Lippi. So Lippi is this big, sort of Paul Newman, leonine figure. He looks like the king of the jungle. He looks like a royal lion, Lippi. This big cigar and his imposing manner and his victories. Oh. 
but I turned the focus on Ancelotti, and Ferguson wasn't trying to put Ancelotti down. He was talking up the people. But even a character as big as Ferguson felt the confidence to win because it was Ancelotti, not Lippi. Now, Ancelotti is a guy you, you coached at Roma. Mm. And then when we come to the big part of this story of yours, you're on the opposite bench from him. So first of all, like you did with Sidorf, tell us about the Ancelotti you know from the guy you inherited in midfield at Roma and coached to the guy that you opposed when he was playing against you and also coaching against you. Tell us the things about Ancelotti that you know from a close working life. Well, you're talking about two Italian guys, first class, both of them, like human beings. Lippi is a fantastic man and Ancelotti maybe even better. Uh, Ancelotti is coming from his father was a farmer outside Parma so Ancelotti holidays when he didn't play football he went to drive the tractor on the father's <laughs> land anyhow I had Ancelotti for three years in Roma and I made him captain I took the captain from Falcao when he finished and gave it to Ancelotti. Falcao was some. Uh, <coughs> was he? Was he quite a good midfield player? He was probably the best ever player I had. But you took the ban from him and you gave it. No, to... he he finished. He left. Yeah, he, because he, of injury, he quit. Yeah. So Ancelotti, um, I left Roma because of uh, yeah other reasons, but when I left. Uh, the owner of Roma, uh, Senatore Viola, he said, I'm going to sell Ancelotti because I think he's finished. Because of knees or slowness? Both both knees. Ancelotti, when he woke up in the mornings, he couldn't walk. Uh, He was limping. But he never missed a training and never missed a match. So I said to Viola, even if I should leave, I said, don't sell him. Whatever you do, don't sell him. He's the most important guy you have in this team. Loyal, hardworking, intelligent. Not a brilliant football player, but uh, playing against him, you felt it. He sold him because he said he's finished. He sold him to Milan. Milan. And Ancelotti had five years there. And he won everything you can win. And he played more or less every game. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Champions League, Champions League. Champions League, he won the... Playing for Saki, playing for Capello. So that's about him. And then I met him as a player, of course, when he was there. And then I met him as a coach. Then I've been visiting him two or three times when he was a coach of Chelsea. Because I had Drogba and I had Ivory Coast at that time. Always a gentleman, great man. And... uh, he was happy in England. The only thing he was not happy with, Sven. Lunchtime here in Chelsea eating. No wine. I don't know why. <laughs> Italian. He wanted one glass of wine to, to the meals. Oh, we take a long time to change culturally, although in Scotland we're quite fond of wine. Maybe at the wrong times. But <laughs> you'd never have a problem asking for wine with lunch in Scotland. No. Then I'm too tempted, it's too magnetic to, to ask you more about Lippi because... When I was younger, I was a reporter with Tommy Burns, the Celtic manager. We went over, and it was the year that Juve will win the Champions League, so I guess 95-ish, something like that. And he told me that I swore to myself when I was a player that if I became a coach, we would attack. 
we would be flowing. We would have three up front. Lippi, when you were there, when you were in Italy or when you were in European football, must have been a presence of feeling that you're, you're watching one of them, genuinely one of the European masters. Yes, you know, Lippi and I, we became friends in Italy and then we were opponents in chi China as course, well during uh, many years. And we always betted in China who is going to win the next game we met, paying the dinner. I paid more dinners than he did. He had a very good team. Anyhow, he, he's a great man. And uh, his way of playing football is very... I don't think he came with something new. He made football very simple. Use your head, make it simple. Attacking football, yes, he always liked to attack. Tactically, very good. And I think... I don't know that, but I, I'm quite sure that the players loved him in the way he took care of the players, he treated the players and, and so on. In China he became extremely popular amongst the players in the club he had and then with the national team. So because I, I think Lippi is bigger in China than he is in Italy, if, if that's possible. <laughs> I had no idea. Oh, huge. So, but that is even though he, he hasn't dominated the language, so they're always the, yeah, 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 the, yeah. the media, the public, but yeah. also some of his players, they're hearing him in a, through a translator, and yet yeah. the character still comes through? Yes. Because of actions? Well, he had a team called uh, Evergrande, Guangzhou Evergrande, and I had the other team, so we lived in the same city. And he, I think he won three or four titles in a row with that team. He had the best team, but anyhow... It's difficult. Then he took the national team. Then he quitted the national team. He said, I want to go back to Italy, Viareggio. Ah, you got enough, he said. One year later, mm. he had the national team again. <laughs> Football's better for guys like that. But the reason I'm... One, I'm fascinated by these guys that you knew and worked with or opposed. But that season that you've built yourself up towards and where you know <clears throat> you've got a winning mentality team because you beat Lippi's Inter in the cup from 1-0 down. I have to point out that apart from it being a brilliant achievement, and never mind that you had a fantastic squad, it's one of the best European seasons, 99-2000. Ultimately, you win by one point. You win more than one trophy. But you, you're fighting with Juventus, which is... Always. It's a Pandora's box, yes. But it's a big Pandora's box. You know, in some of your seasons, you finish seventh, you win the cup the not winning mentality team, then I think you've probably finished second. Then you win. But I mention it because it was, it was Ancelotti's Juve you beat, right? Yes. So the first thing that we can't get away from is, what sensation did you have about the power of Juventus and Moji when you're in Rome particularly? <laughs> it, it, it's a fact. So it, Yeah, it is. Uh, many things to comment about that. First of all, Italy is a little bit like Spain. If you win the league in Italy, Scudetto, with a team not Juventus, Inter or Milan, it's huge. It's a miracle. It's like winning the league in, Italy, in Spain, not Barcelona or Real Madrid. So when we won with Lazio, it's, it's, it's big because you win it, but... It's not Juventus or Milan or Inter. That makes it huge. It's always like that. Roma's been winning. And if you see the story, 
I would guess 90, 95% of, uh, of the times winning the Scudetto. It's always these three. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to take you into dangerous territory, but even, though, even in the 90s, before Kachopoulos came out, even as a Scot, as a reporter traveling to Italy, you knew about Moji. In fact, yes, 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 even yes, the yes. journalists mm. kind of boasted about Moji. Moji doesn't just control Juve. Control. He controls the referees. <laughs> and he tells which club they can, which player each club can have. He's so powerful that if Atalanta want, uh, I don't know, <laughs> Dario Fusar, uh, yeah, okay, you can have him because we're fit. This is what we were told in the 90s. Yeah. So when you've coached there so long, you've seen this figure of Luciano Moji, um, the Fiat family, the Onjube, the quality of players and coaches. Nobody's criticizing the fact that they were brilliantly managed and brilliant to play. But there was, a, there was a second force in Italian football. You had to beat them on the pitch and maybe you had to at least be streetwise off the pitch too. Yeah. Yeah, Moji, you're right, he controlled everything. He was very powerful and very clever and very arrogant. He couldn't uh, care less about others than Juventus. And what he did or not did, I don't know. No. But what he did was not clean always, that's for sure. But does Cragnotti speak to you? But does, do people warn you and say, listen, everybody, it's like this? Everybody knew or talked about that if you play Juventus, the referee will not be in your favour. Everybody knew that and everybody talked about it. But Juventus, you know, the power of the family Agnelli is incredible. After two years in Roma, talking about 84, 85, 86, I got an offer from Juventus. And I said no, I wanted to stay in Roma, I wanted to win the league with Roma. Because I also had one more year contract, or two more years. The time went on and then we played Juventus away and into the dressing room comes Agnelli, the big guy. And he said, I want to say a word to the coach, to me. In front of your players? No, not really. He took me a little bit apart. And he said on his way of talking uh, Italian, he, very strange, but anyhow, he said, I always knew that Eriksson is a very good coach. But, he said, I didn't know that he's a stupid man. And that's always why I, he said, he's the only one during my time who said no to Juventus. <laughs> and he couldn't... Uh... It was my instinct, I didn't want to interrupt, my instinct immediately when you told that is that you made an enemy, for yeah, sure. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of him, of the family, of Moji. But he, he was very clear and in his way and also a little bit elegant to tell what in hell did you do. <laughs> I suppose that was that point. And in the, time, in the period, maybe you would have been taken over from Trapattoni, I don't remember. But they yes, go to, it was after Trapattoni. They go to Champions League final um, back in, in Iceland that period also. Yeah, but the year after and the year after that, they didn't. They were not successful. They needed you. But their choice was right, is what I mean. In planning ahead. They had two years of uh, not winning anything. And that's not normal. Thank you for listening to the big interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true. Graham Hunter... And Backpage, 
Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.